God's been speaking to me a lot about trains in the last year, so much so that in our war room in Arthur, I actually got a train and nailed it to the wall and have it going all the way down the one length because it speaks of the great harvest that God is bringing in. And as I'm looking here and hearing the train, the Lord says he's bringing in the harvest. And they're going to come in many different doors. And there's, I believe, many ministries that are going to be raised up out of Catch the Fire Kitchener that will carry a mantle of evangelism. The Lord says he's raised you up for evangelism, to bring in the harvest, to bring in the lost. So I just, the Bible says to decree a thing so it may be established. So I just decree today over Catch the Fire Kitchener that evangelistic anointing that's coming upon you to receive the harvest. Amen. So that's good. Okay. So um, let me just check. Okay. So on the way here, um, if any of you have seen um, my Facebook page, um, because it had a lot of comments on it. Two nights ago, my daughter gave birth to my first grandson. She has two girls, and so I now have a new grandson. So he was just birthed two nights ago, and I got to be part of that and, and witnessing that with her and, her, and, and baby's dad. And so what I, what I didn't realize was it actually, he was born on the anniversary, uh, the third anniversary of my dad passing away. And so God began to speak to me. You can't arrange that. That is arrangement of God. And God started speaking to me about the cycles of death and life and how that scripture, except a seed fall into the ground and die, it cannot bring forth life. And that's sort of like how the generations go. And so the thing that Lord wanted me to share with you today was when we arrived at the hospital with my daughter and husband, we arrived and she's in the bed and she's in active labor and she's asking for an epidural. Any of you who's had babies, you know, you want an epidural. <laughs> I'm not advocating for that, but I used to, I used to be a nurse and work in that area, but it takes all the pain away, and so we want that pain-free. So she's saying, I want an epidural, and I want an epidural. So the doctor checked her and said, you are too far along for an epidural. And within 10, 15 minutes, my grandson was born. And I felt the Lord say on the way here to tell you, there's some of you going through a really difficult birthing. And you're asking God to make it pain-free. You're begging him to help you in the midst of it. And God is saying, you're too far along for that. You will have a good birth. That baby that you're bringing forth out of painful experience, out of the dying, because we know that something has to die in order for something to be birthed. That is the nature of, of everything God teaches us through the gospel. You have to go through the cross to get to the other side, into the resurrection power and the resurrection life. So I want to encourage um, anyone here that feels like you're in that place of birthing and pushing, and, and that transition phase especially is marked by shaking and confusion, and you don't know what's happening, and you may not, even in the natural, a woman doesn't even know she's giving birth at that point. Somebody has to look her in the eye and remind her what's happening, because there can be a lot of confusion, and if you're feeling like that, God is saying, you're about to bring forth the new thing that he's placed within you. So I just encourage you with that this morning. New things are coming in 2018. 
So that's good too. Just see if there's anything else here. Okay, so. So uh, my name's Maggie Barato. So I live in the village of Arthur, <laughs> right in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> um, although uh, Arthur's been deemed Canada's most patriotic village, and we have some of our team here. Just stand up for a minute. Some of the team has come just to support. So thank you for coming, guys. Yeah. So, um, okay. I'm just going to tell a few stories. I didn't feel to bring PowerPoint or do anything fancy. I just felt the Lord wanted me to share some things about the cost of discipleship. Um, I was actually at a Canadian Reformed church a few nights ago, so it's really interesting where God is bringing this message into places we would not expect. God is. God is releasing a harvest. And he's looking for a church who will position themselves to receive the harvest. And so um, six, seven years ago, I just want to tell you a couple stories about the ministry that, we're, that God has called us to. Um, and I want to say that we didn't try to do something and then ask God to bless it. Everything that we do out of the Father's Heart Healing Ministries in Arthur, God has asked us and called us to do, or I don't want to do it. Because I don't want to try to do something and then ask God to come along and bless it. I want what's already blessed by him. Because we're not trying to do something for God. We want God to do something through us. And so about six, seven years ago, I was working full-time in public health. Just like, you know, uh, most people, you know, work. But my husband and I just working, raising five kids, you know, paying the mortgage, right? And God began to put something in my heart for several years. And I won't get into that whole story, but as a result, he asked me to open a healing center, a walk-in clinic for prayer in a downtown storefront in the middle of nowhere. In Arthur, this was a good idea. And so I did. And like I said, that's a real God story, but that's not what I'm going to talk about today. So we did. And, of course, there's controversy. Of course, people are like, what the heck are you doing? But I'll tell you, in following the Lord, I have learned something. When God calls you to do something, he doesn't give you, he doesn't tell you all the pros and cons up front. He just asks you to do it, and you just step out into it. And so we opened this walk-in clinic for prayer. And so here we are six, seven years later, and um, that little walk-in clinic has morphed into an apostolic center. And so we now are the national headquarters for over 50 healing room ministries across Canada. And a walk-in clinic, a lot of you know what the healing rooms are. People can come in, they fill out a form, they get prayer by, by teams that have been trained up and, um, and um, released to pray. And so that's... I always say to people, the two things I feared the most in life are the two things I do now, which is get on airplanes and speak in front of people. I was never a person who could speak in front of people, and God, uh, I think, wants to encourage someone here because oftentimes the things that God has called us to are the things that the enemy works the hardest to stop us in. So I just encourage you, if there's things you're saying, I will never do that, uh, that may be the thing. Because oftentimes God also calls us to things that we're not naturally good at. And so um, I'm no exception to that. So the things I'm not that great at, 
those are the things God asked me to do. So we opened this prayer clinic and um, soon um, moved into a greater building, became the national director across Canada, opened a cafe because people were hanging out. So we said, we should open a cafe. So we opened a cafe. And then we opened a bookstore and giftware. And we have a boutique uh, for women for retail and um, um, pre-loved. My daughter says call them pre-loved women's clothing and accessories. And we also operate a safe house for women, which I'm going to talk to you about. And so in all these things, our team has grown and grown. And we have, we don't just say we're Christian. We don't just say we trust God. I live it. I live it. God asked me to resign my career so I can assure you I'm not in ministry for the money. Although God tests us in all those areas because God doesn't want to just give us the things we need. He gives, them, he gives us himself but he does take us through trial, and he does try us by fire. Amen? So God has provided for everything we need along the way, and I have many, many stories of provision and just trusting God and going through a lot of tough things. You don't step out, and you know, you don't step out into ministry without having to overcome fear of man, rejection, slander, those are things you have to walk through, and you have to steward your heart through those things. And so I want to read a scripture here um, out of uh, Luke, and I'll just read it, and then I'm going to get on with it here. Okay, so Luke uh, 14, 25. A large crowd was following Jesus. He turned around and said to them, If you want to be my disciple, you must hate everyone else by comparison. Your father, your mother, your wife, your children, your brothers, your sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. But don't begin until you count the cost. For who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there's enough money to finish it? Otherwise, you might complete only the foundation before running out of money, and then everyone would laugh at you. That They would say, that's the person who started that building and couldn't afford to finish it. Or what king would go to war against another king without first sitting down with his counselors to discuss whether his army of 10,000 could defeat the 20,000 soldiers marching against him? And if he can't, he will sell a delegate, send a delegation to discuss terms of peace while the enemy is still far away. So you cannot become my disciple without giving up everything you own. Salt is good for seasoning, but if it loses its flavor, how do you make it salty again? Flavorless salt is good neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown away. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. So God wants us to be the salt. He wants us to be the light. And he says to me often, he says, Maggie, if you're going to be hot, than be hot. And I love what I saw here, Amy, just that crying out wholehearted. God is calling us to be wholehearted. And it is a process to get us there because we can't get there by ourselves. We won't willingly go to the cross. We say we are. And I'll say, God, I'm making, I'm making a choice right now for all the choices if I'm going to say no later. Because we ask God to do things. We say, God, I want my life to glorify you. God, I want you to use me. I want your power. I want your strength. God's listening, and he takes us up on that. And stuff starts happening in our life, and we forget. We asked him for it because he knows just how to apply the cross to every area of our soul. And why? So he can get us to the other side of it. 
into the strength and resurrection power that he has for us. So I want to tell you a little bit about one of the ministries that God has given us. Uh, we do an inner healing ministry called Intensive Care, and we also do women's outreach, a bunch of different ministries. But this one is called Beauty for Ashes Transformation House, and some of you know about it. And some of you might have heard this story, but I really felt impressed to share this with you. Because when God gives you a ministry and asks you to do something, it's all glitz and sparkle, and it all looks really great when he's asking you to do it, and it is. But there's also the other side. There's also the behind the scenes. So I want to just share some of that. So, oh gosh, we've had the Transformation House open about two and a half years now. So about three, three and a half years ago, I was at the um, Healing Center in Arthur, and um, I'm at the reception desk. And uh, a young lady and, and a gentleman walks in. And I could smell them coming. I could smell the alcohol. So they walk in, and they're walking around. And um, the fella comes to me at the reception desk. And there's a few other people there. And he says, uh, see that girl there? I'm like, yep. He says, uh, she needs rehab. And I'm thinking, man, you smell like you need rehab. <laughs> so he leaves. And, um, and she's walking around. And I felt the Lord impress on me. Go over there. Introduce yourself to her. Tell her everything you do here. Because she turns to me, and she says, I didn't know this was a Jesus shop. What is this place? So I go over, introduce myself, take her for a tour, show her around, take her in and out of the healing rooms, anoint her, show her how we pray for people, show her the testimony board on how God has been healing people. And, and I just want to say God does heal people. And it is amazing uh, the number of salvations we have seen in the healing rooms. Amazing how many people will wander in um, who have no grid for God. People from other faiths and religions walk in because they have a problem and they need a solution. And so we offer Jesus Christ, the great physician. Anyway, so I'm taking this girl around. I bring her throughout the building. We're standing in the war room in front of the map of Canada. And she starts to weep. And she says, what is this that I'm feeling? What is this? I said, that's the spirit of God. And she says, um, oh, this is really good. I said, yep. And I felt do not pressure her. Don't pray for her. I said, hey, if you like what you're feeling, why don't you come on back tonight? It was about 4 o'clock on a Friday. I said, come on back tonight at 7 o'clock. Our healing rooms are open. A team will pray for you and bless your socks off. And she says, um, okay. And I thought, put the ball in her court. Don't pressure her. So she leaves. 7 o'clock, she's there. And she comes back at 7 o'clock, and she says she had to take a few stiff drinks of whiskey to get up the courage, because it takes courage to come in and let the complete strangers pray for you. So she comes in, and she ends up coming into the prayer room that I'm, that I'm in, and we've got different rooms going. And so she comes. It's about 20, 25-minute session. Well, she wants to give her heart to Jesus. And we prophesy over her, and we just bless her, and, um, and, and she leaves the room. And I don't get a chance to see her for the rest of the evening because we've got clients coming. So anyway, she leaves. That's Friday night. So Tuesday morning, we because we back then we were closed on the weekends. And so we opened Monday or Tuesday, I think it was Tuesday morning, 11 o'clock, 10 o'clock. And she's the first one at the door. And I'm there with a couple of the ladies that are working there. And we let her in. And she comes in. She goes, Maggie, I need to talk to you. That was the most powerful thing that happened to me on Friday night. And I need to talk about this with you. So we sit down. I said, tell me what's going on. Well, I was with my friends all weekend. And I didn't have one drink. I couldn't even drink. And she says, and I think God is speaking to me. 
I says, well, what is he saying? She said, well, I never heard of the word. I don't know what the word is, but I think he wants me to know what the word is. I says, well, what's the word? And I give her a pen and a paper, and she writes out the word agape. And I said, well, if there ever was a word, that would be the word. The unconditional love of the Father. And she said, look, I want to change my whole life. I found this place online, it's called Teen Challenge, and I want to go there. She says, and I want to know, Maggie, if you'll be my sponsor. So I'm looking at her, and I heard the Holy Spirit say to me, uh, yeah, you want to be her sponsor, say yes. I said, yes, I am going to be your sponsor. So what do I have to do? <laughs> Find out I have to come up with a thousand bucks, right, for the entrance fee, and I got to encourage her for a year. So I'm like, yes, I'm in. I said, you know, we don't have money kicking around, but God is going to provide it because we don't have a thousand bucks kicking around, right? So it was like, yes. And I felt the Lord say, he's going to do something here. So I'm listening, right? She looks around the place. She's looking around. She's looking at me. She's looking at the ladies, looks at me, and she says, hey, how come you don't have a home for women? Especially, she says, how come I can't move in here? How come you don't have a home for women like me? And I'm looking at her, and the Holy Spirit, I can't even explain to people what happened to me, but I felt... I felt the hand of God come into my heart or something. And all of a sudden, I felt this weightiness, not a bad thing, but a weightiness. We're supposed to have a home for women. And it just came right out of my mouth, especially for women exiting human trafficking, the sex trade, and addiction. And so it just was there. And so we're talking to her, and, you know, I end up getting up, I leave the room, and I'm like, God, what is this? And all of a sudden, it was like a download. It was like, and you're going to use the healing rooms as part of the core programming, and the intensive care will be part of the programming. It's going to be right here in the middle of nowhere, and everyone's going to know this is God, because this is going to be God's house, and it's going to be about the Father, and it's going to be Christ-centered. And so this is just like all, you know, when God gives you something, you just like are filling up, filling up with it, right? And so this is on a Tuesday. So just watch this timeline. So Tuesday, this happens, right? And I'm like, I can't think about anything else. I can't talk about anything else. Anybody comes near me, we're going to have a house for women. This is what we're going to do. God's going to do this. Okay, so Wednesday morning, I get up and I'm on the phone with a couple. And I'm on the phone with this man, and they are—they live in the in the area, right? They go to the Pentecostal church in Arthur. It's not the church I go to. We're not like real good friends, but we're you know they're they're Christian, right? So I'm talking with him on the phone about I forget what. And as I'm about to hang up the phone, I felt the Lord say, Maggie, tell him about the young gal that came in the other night. So I said, oh, hey, listen to this. This will bless your socks off. I said, we had a young gal come into the healing room. So gave, she gave her heart to Jesus, and now she wants to go to Teen Challenge, and I guess I'm going to be her sponsor. Well, they're really big on the Teen Challenge, right? So he says, he calls me Mag. He says, how much do you need, Mag? I says, well, I need 1000 bucks." He says, I'm in for 500 He says, go tell the Pentecostal pastor that I told you he'll give you the other 500 <laughs> I'm like, you are making my day. <laughs> so I'm about to hang up again, and very clearly, the Lord says, tell them about the house you're going to have. I said, hey, listen to this. We're going to have a house for women. It's going to be for women exiting human trafficking, the sex trade, and addiction, and it's going to be right here in the middle of nowhere, and everybody's going to know it's God. And I said, and God said, we're going to do this and this, and then blah, 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 telling them all this, right? All he says is, tell my wife. His wife comes on. I tell her the whole thing. 
And she goes, thanks for sharing, Maggie. I said, okay. So I hang up, and I'm thinking, man, <laughs> they think, what are they thinking, right? So anyway, so, I go, so that's like 9 o'clock in the morning, so I go about my day. And then it's Thursday, and I'm talking to Debbie. Debbie's one of our, our leaders here. And Debbie is the epitome of mothering. And so I says to her, I says, we're going to have a house for women, you know. She goes, I know. I know. You've been talking about that this week. I said, no, I'm serious. We are going to have a house for women. I'm really sure of it. I said, and I think you're going to be the house mother. I said, I, <laughs> just like that. And I said, what do you think about that? She goes, oh, I'd love it. I said, no, I'm serious. Like, if you're going to be a house mother, what do you require? Because you must have, like, what would you need to be a house mother? And she says, well, I need my own room, big enough for a sitting area, and I need my own bathroom. I said, okay, let's put our order in. So we go praying to God and say, God, this is what we need, you know, and we're giggling and we're, and we're like, like going, wow, this is, so you, you come out of the prayer and you said, oh, I just heard one word. I said, oh, what was it? She goes, I heard the word acceleration. This is Thursday night. I'm like, okay, that's good. So, um, so that's Thursday night. And then Friday night, I'm starting to get stressed out because I said to my husband, we're going to have this house. And he's like, what are you talking about? Right? Because we can't build a house. I don't have any money to do this. Right? So, with the, so I guess the reality of it is sinking in like, how are we going to do this? Right? Saturday morning, uh, I get up, I drop my girls off somewhere uh, in town in Arthur, and I, and I live right in town, and I'm about a, two blocks from my house, and I got to pull over because I can't stop crying. And I'm like, God, get it off me. I can't carry this. It's too, it's too heavy. I, I, don't, I don't understand this. What are you talking about? And I had an open-eye vision. I don't know if any of you had, had a vision with your eyes wide open, but that's what happened to me. And so I'm sitting in my van, and I saw a harvest field stretched out from one end of Canada to the other. And that harvest field was the souls of women, broken, hurt women, caught in the sex trade, caught in addiction, caught in trafficking. And as I'm watching this harvest field, I can feel the mercy heart of the Father, and I see a name written across the harvest field called Cinderella. And I heard the Lord say this, I have come to rescue the broken women who live among the ashes. I have come to transform the orphan heart into the heart of a daughter. And so I'm sitting there just bawling, and um, the Lord says to me, Maggie, will you do this? And part of me knows he's not asking if I'll do the house. I've been saying yes all week. He's saying, will you keep me? at the center of this. Will you keep it about me? Salt is no good if it loses its saltiness. He was asking me, will you stay hot? Keep it about me. I'm like, yes, but God, I can't be stressed out about money. I don't know how to, and I'm, you know, issuing my complaint, and, um, and that's the end of it. Next thing I know, I'm sitting there, and the vision's gone. I'm sitting in my van. I'm not carrying this anymore. And so I, you know, wipe my eyes, and I drive home two blocks. <laughs> I get into my house, and I am not lying to you. I'm, everything I'm telling you is the truth. I get into my house. I am not in my house more than 10, 15 minutes, and there is a knock on my door. And it is the wife of the husband that I talked to earlier that week. I answer the door, and she says, Maggie... I forgot that check for 500. I'll get that to you next week. She says, I need to talk to you about this house you're going to have. 
I'm like, yeah, come on in. So she comes in, sits down. She says, Maggie, you called my husband and I this week, and you start telling us all about this house you're going to have. And I'm like, I know. And she says, what you don't know is a couple of years ago, we built a house. And when we built it, God spoke to my husband and said, one day, it will be used as a residence for women exiting human trafficking, the sex trade, and addiction. She says, so when you called, she said, the other thing you don't know is we bought a farm in uh, Saskatchewan, and we're moving. And for the last year, we've been asking God, God, what are we supposed to do with this house? She says, and then you called. And so my husband asked the Lord about that, and the Lord spoke to my husband and said, Give the house to Maggie. Let her use it for the ministry, and you go where I've called you. She says, so I'm here to ask you if you'd like to come and look at this house and see if it's what you have in mind. So I was there, <laughs> like right away. Called, made a few phone calls, and we went out to check out this place. It's not about the bricks and mortar but God provided something. Six bedrooms on one side, and down the hallway on the other side was a room, bedroom, big enough for a sitting area with its own bathroom. I said, this would be the house. This is the house because, see, we, don't, we didn't rezone it. And the Lord showed us, this is not institutional. This is to be set up as a family. House parents. We now have house parents. And Kari and uh, Carlin have come on board in that capacity as well. Those six bedrooms, people would say to me, oh, you can get 20 women in there. The Lord said, oh, no, you don't. They each get their own bedroom. We had, so we had brand new queen-size beds donated. See, the story of Bath, the story of the beauty for Ashes Transformation House is the story of the lavish love of the Father how much he loves these ladies. And so we decorated those rooms and we put chandeliers in some of them and made them beautiful because God says they're worth it. So giving them their own bedrooms, we name the rooms according to the words that God gave us. There's so much I could tell you about that. In the floorboards of the house when they were building it are scriptures written I have pic I didn't bring them today, but I have pictures of the scriptures that were written in the floorboards of the house. There's an indoor swimming pool. Like, awesome. And we now have four or five rescued horses. There's paddocks and a barn on site. So that's very therapeutic, right? And of course, it's in the middle of nowhere. And I make it my business to tell everybody that this is God's house. He set it up. He brings the women in. So shortly after this happened, oh, and we got it for a dollar a year. We have still not paid the rent. <laughs> we are actually in arrears, aren't we? <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, no, I'm not kidding. This is, so anyway, so that's, so don't ever think that God can't make, God has dreams. He wants to dream them through us, right? His dreams can come true. So here, then I got a call shortly after that from um, the National House of Prayer in Ottawa. A lady called me. She says, Maggie Brado. I said, yep. She said, I'm from the National House of Prayer. She says, um, your name keeps coming in front of me. The Lord tells me to call you. She said, are you opening a house for women? I said, how do you even know that? We haven't even told anybody. 
for a long time because we want to get all the legal stuff in place and do it proper. And so she says, you need to come up to Parliament. So they brought us up there, met with some MPs. Different things went on, and I didn't even know because this wasn't even on my radar that this was the, it was in 2005, I believe it was, the end, the end of the year where they were, um, 15, sorry, 2015, where they were um, um, changing some of the legislature around the laws of prostitution. So I wasn't in the know for any of that. We weren't asking God to do any of that. He dropped it on our laps. And so went there, and when we were there, God spoke very clearly to me. And he said, Maggie, I want for the ministry to develop a reproducible template because this will be the first house of many. So we have a vision to set up houses of refuge, houses of refuge across Canada. And God has opened doors to speak to many different churches and pastors and ministerials because God wants this to be about him. He doesn't want it secularized. And I'm not putting down um, organizations in the secular arena. We, we, we work with pharmacists and methadone doctors, and we have a gynecologist. He's born again and spirit-filled. But all the people that are involved with the women, the God factor is woven through all of it. Because the message is very clear. God designed you. He created you. He has a plan for you. You carry you carry the DNA of God. There are gifts in you. That's the message. We don't have to preach at the women. We just live it. They come through the healing rooms, and a lot of people warned us, oh, no, they're not going to like this. You know what? The women love the presence of God. The women love the healing rooms. The Father is safe. He's a safe place. And so... We have found that the women are hungry for something real. Many of them are at the end of their rope. They want to die. Many of them are suicidal. Many of you have worked with women coming out of the sex trade or addiction. You'll know there's a lot of trauma and a lot of brokenness. But I believe if God would give us the keys for that house, I believe he'll give us the anointing to do what needs to be done. Right? So... We um, have had a, counseling, a, a Christian counseling agency last year, earlier in the year, partner with us that does all our trauma groups. We have an addiction specialist who's born again and spirit-filled who does all our addictions groups. It, it is amazing what God has put together. Two weeks ago, I'll just tell you because it just happened. Two weeks ago, um, some of the girls, a lot of the girls come right off the street. So they don't have medications or diagnosis in order and they'll say they're not on any medication um, but they're using to deal with all kinds of stuff so they'll come they don't have ID they don't have medication so um, I'm working with different doctors at walk-in clinics and at the eMERGE department because some of them we have to take to eMERGE because they're they're untreated for certain things. So I'm talking to different doctors, and I got to the point, I just got off the phone, and I said, Lord, I need a family doctor. Like, I need one for these girls. And I'm in tears because I'm like, I'm hitting a wall every time, and I don't want to take these girls to the walk-in clinics and to emerge anymore. So here I am. What day is it? Sunday. Friday. Friday, um, it was actually, it's a Partners in Harvest Catch the Fire pastor, says, I'm coming down to have coffee. This is Friday afternoon. He walks in. So I go over to say hello to him at the cafe, and he goes, oh, this is my uncle. My uncle is a family physician. 
I said, oh, I need to talk to you. So God brought a family physician right into the healing center. And so I had a chat with him on Friday. And stuff is going to happen. Because the Lord knows what they need. And I have noticed I don't have to go out there and bang on doors. I just have to go and talk to God. Say, God, I need this. I need that. And I'm learning. So one thing I want to say, we went into this. And honestly, we didn't have a clue. We didn't. I mean, I've been a nurse for 20 years. I worked with high-risk families. Um, some of our staff, Vanessa, resigned a counseling career to come into. So some of us have backgrounds in, in working with high-risk and stuff. But we really didn't know what we were in for. And it's probably a very good thing. Because I'm being really honest, six months after we opened the house, I wanted to give it back to God. You got the wrong girl. I can't do this. We can't do this. We're in over our head. See, when God gives you something, it'll cost you everything to walk out that call. And it wasn't just from the women internally. It was also from what we took around us. We have really learned. We got the privilege of learning how to walk in the fruit of long-suffering <laughs> and enduring persecution. It's taken a lot. And so with the women, too, we didn't know what we were getting into. We didn't know how tough it would be. And I'm not complaining. I'm just being real. I'm being honest. Because I think sometimes we romanticize what the harvest is going to look like. It's wonderful when God uses us to be a vessel of mercy and a vessel of healing. We've seen girls healed of hepatitis C. We've seen girls give their heart to Jesus. We've seen girls experience all kinds of inner healing and get set free. But we've also had to walk through spending a night at Emerge because a girl drank a bottle of hairspray because of her addiction. We've also had to deal with a lot of the brokenness and rebellion that comes from being abused and, and wounded. So I want to tell you a story on how God dealt with me on wanting to give the house back. <laughs> Because I obviously didn't, and I didn't really want to. I was just in over my head, and I couldn't control what was happening, right? And I wanted so much to do a good job and felt at some points somebody else could do this better, right? And I also want to say I'm talking, but there are many people behind the scenes working at this transformation house. It takes a team. And I think earlier on we realized we need a team. It takes humility, and it takes wholeheartedness. So just to put that on hold, I was at, uh, I was at a, a conference in Indiana. And um, my husband and I were billeted at this house. And the woman's name was Annie and her husband that were there. And so um, she's given me permission to share this story. So, so Annie's there. And her children have grown up. Most of them are in their late teens or young adults, moved out of the house. And she decided, her and her husband felt God wanted them to adopt these two children. So she adopted these two little kids. And I don't know whether they were three or five. I don't know. They were just little. And both the parents had been crack addicts. And so these kids came from a long history of abuse and neglect. So they adopted these kids. So her and I are driving to a service, and we're in the parking lot, and she's driving. I'm sitting there. I've just met this woman a couple days before, a real sweet lady, and she starts weeping. And she says, Maggie, 
I've had these kids for a year, but I want to give them back because I can't do this. I can't do this. I am in over my head, and I feel like I don't know what, I don't have what it takes to raise these kids. She said, pray for me. And I'm like, oh, God, give me a good word. So I'm like, you know, uh, saying, God, uh, what do you want to say to her? And here's what the Lord spoke to me. He said, Maggie, she thinks that I sent her husband and her to rescue those two kids. But I sent those two kids to rescue her and her husband, to rescue them from self-sufficiency, to rescue them from leaning on their own understanding, to rescue them from lukewarm Christianity. See, being in over your head will drive you to your knees. It will cause you to cry out for God. You need God when you are in over your head. And that, when God calls you to do something, that is part of the call. You need him to accomplish it. See, if she could handle those two kids, she wouldn't need God. So I shared that with her, and she got a good chuckle out of it. And her husband and her now have raised up support groups for adoptive parents. It's turned into a whole ministry because she realized that call was to break her was to bring her through the cross and bring her into the sufficiency of God, into the grace of God, to operate out of the power of God. And so when I was going through my little temper tantrum or whatever you want to have it with the house, the Lord said, Maggie, you think I've called you guys to rescue those women, but I'm sending those women to help raise you up. You want, you've been praying for your life to glorify me. You've been praying to walk in my power. This is, how it, this is what it takes. I believe the harvest fields that God is opening up in this hour are so necessary for the church because it will take the harvest fields coming in to raise up the church. Do you understand what I'm saying? God is doing us a favor because if God were to wait for us to be ready, we would never be ready. It's that cry that says, God, I'll do anything. I'll do it wholehearted. That's what he's waiting for. And if you say yes, he is going to put you in impossible situations on purpose. Because then you need the God of the impossible. You see, the girls that we work with need a miracle. I can't fix them. I don't have what they need. I don't. I'm not smart enough. They could be counseled for 20, 30 years, and it probably wouldn't change much. They would just learn to cope and live with their stuff. God doesn't want that. That's not how Jesus does things. He wants them set free. They need a miracle. They need the anointing to destroy the yoke of bondage in their life. They need to be set free from generational curses. They need to be set free from all the assignments of the enemy against them because God has a plan for them. So we rely on God. And if people say you don't know what you're doing, because I've had a lot of people tell me that, I said, I agree with them. The Bible says agree very quickly with your, I don't know what I'm doing. But I've been called by the one who thinks I can do this. God called me to do this. That is where my confidence rests. I know that I know that he thinks 
this was a good idea, right? So we rely on him. We go and with the healing center, with the transformation. God, what do you think about this? How do you want to run this? How do you want to operate the center? That's why we call it Father's Heart Healing Ministries. It's about the Father. We want everything we do to be a reflection of the goodness and the kindness of the Father. How am I doing here? We're good, yeah. Again, I believe there is an anointing upon the harvest fields. We all know there's an opioid crisis out there. Two of our girls, one of our girls from our house left prematurely a year ago. Within a year, she overdosed. Just last week, a girl left from our house prematurely. We didn't want her to leave. She left, and within a week, she was dead. That is part of the call. God will break our hearts for what breaks his. We don't have to understand everything. I just know I'm not. I'm not going to stop. I'm going to believe God. I'm going to hope in God. You know, I had, the, I had the privilege two weeks ago to pray for a mother of a girl. This mother is a proclaiming atheist. She's like, I'd like you to pray for me. I believe God is going to use the harvest to raise up the church because you will need to rely on the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit are necessary. You need them. You need the anointing. It's wonderful to be used as a vessel of God for mercy, to set the captives free, to see people healed. We've seen many amazing things God's done, but it also comes at a cost. So we want to be all in. We want to say yes to the call of God. And I believe God wants to put a holy dare out there today. Just say yes. Because I've got to the point, I said, God, I don't care what the cost is. I don't. I don't care anymore. I'll do it. Because you know what? God will be there to help you through it. Because the Bible says he will always lead us into victory. There's always going to be victory. And I want the eternal fruit. You know, the thief on the cross beside Jesus came into the kingdom at the last minute. And for some, we will pull him in at the last minute. They'll give their heart to Jesus and spend an eternity with him. They may not all live the kingdom life. We want them to. So God wants to strip you of your own ability, your own strength, and your own wisdom. He wants to replace it with his strength, his wisdom, and his ability. That's freedom. Amen? So I feel like, I feel like, um, and I said this at the Reformed Church the other night, I feel like I'm here recruiting. <laughs> I feel like I'm saying, hey guys, we're working in a harvest field and it is so worth it. It'll break you. It'll cost you everything. But it's so worth it. And I feel like that's God's message. The train is positioned at the gates of the harvest fields. For the sex trafficked. For those in the sector. For those who are addicted. Men and women. 
God's been really putting it on my heart to go after the men. I was at, um, we've also um, connected with the uh, prison ministry. So some of our girls come from Vanier Center for Women in Milton. And um, because a lot of these women don't want to go back. They don't want to be released into society because they're just going back to a pimp and they're just going back to homelessness and drugs. So we take them right from Vanier. But there's also the men's jail, Maplehurst. So I was in there several months back and I'm walking through Maplehurst, and if you ever walk through that place, you can feel, you can feel the atmosphere. And as I'm walking through Maplehurst, the corridor, as I'm going to visit somebody, the Lord spoke to me, and he said this. He said, there are revolutionaries living here. Ask me for them. Ask me for their souls. So I'm asking him. He says, ask for the nations. I'm asking for the souls of what? The drug dealers, the pimps. The enemy is not flesh and blood. Our enemy is the enemy. These houses of refuge are for men and women. And many of them are prodigals. It's amazing to me how many girls we bump into that God has already been revealing himself to them or they had a praying grandmother, something. It's amazing to me. So, you know what? Some of us sow, some of us water, and some of us reap. And for some of the, the ones that come through our, our programming, we may get to sow, we may get to water, but boy, I love the reaping part. That's a lot of fun, right? But we don't get to pick, we just say yes, so. So that's how I'm going to close. I believe that God has put a lot of dreams, his dreams, in you here. Because if he's calling you for evangelism, then there's a lot of dreams here waiting to be birthed. They're the father's dreams, and he wants to partner with you. And he's saying, will you do this? And your right response would be yes, period. <laughs> I believe it is a holy dare. He's saying, will you trust me? Because when we are all in for God, there's a joy that goes with it that no one can take. You win no matter what. So I would just like to, can I just like pray over everybody? So if everybody just wants to stand up, put your hand on your heart just as a... I'm just um, thinking about how I actually opened up this service now, was with that good birth. <laughs> I feel like there's a lot of you who are transitioning right now, that there are dreams like babies, but they're dreams and they're visions that the Father has put within you, and they're about to come forth. So Father, I just, um, I ask right now that your spirit would just come heavily and rest upon those, Father, that are about to go into that birthing, Father. And God, I just declare over them a good birth. I thank you, Father, that what is in them, what you have placed in them, will come out strong come out strong and right on time thank you father for babies and dreams and visions and ministries that will be birthed out of this place kitchener catch the fire that will be right on time and right in sync god they will be your plans your visions ministries that you have ordained 
and they will break forth right on time. So, Father, I pray for all of those, Father, here that are carrying your dreams. And any dream that's not from you, Father, I just ask that it would just be uprooted and fall to the ground, God. We want you to blow on the dreams and visions that you have planted within your sons and daughters.